Hey, sometimes the answer's not obvious, is it? You guys, have you guys seen one of the greatest pieces of cinema artistry? It's called The Hunt for the Wilder People. Great movie. I wish I could show it all to you. And if you haven't seen it, you have totally missed out. You, you, like you're not living the full life if you haven't seen it. You've got to go see it, grab it and watch it. The Hunt for the Wilder People. Anyway, um, the best scene in the movie, funniest, uh, funeral scene. <laughs> and it's in this old, old church and there are seven people there, plus the organist, plus the minister. And um, then the minister starts his little message he, and he talks about life and life, he says, is a bit like being a sheep in a maze designed by wolves um, and how it's easy to get lost like that. And then he starts talking about how there's two doors and, and behind the first door, there's all these delightful confectionery treats. There's Coke Zero and Doritos and burger rings and all and and um and then there's the second door. And now when it gets to the second door, it's time for audience participation. Hey, like, hey, you're in church. It's a funeral and all, but you're in church. So he, he's after answers to what's behind the door. And, and you know, like, what's behind the door? And he's set it up for a bit of an answer. And so young, young Ricky, he says, vegetables? And the minister's like, Incredulous, like vegetables. And he goes, no, no, no. Not vegetables, yeah. Um, and then he asks again. And he gets the obvious answer. You know, like someone, some of those seven persons there, someone, some lady says, Jesus? You know, and you just think the answer's... Pretty obvious. It's all like around church or Sunday school. The answer's always Jesus, isn't it? You know. Um, the answer's not always obvious. So I grew up pretty ambitious and determined, and I couldn't see any reason for me. I, I, I see myself a lot in Peter. Uh, I couldn't see any reason for me why I, I shouldn't just be carving out life and career just like the script. So, like, so, so I did all the stuff, like I traveled, I saved money, I, I bought a house. I bought, a, I bought my first house when I was 23 years old. Um, and then in my Victoria police career, I joined the police force when I was 19 years old. I never advertised it, but my aim in there, I don't think I ever told anyone, but I have this aim, like I, I want a ducks. I want to be the top of every course I ever do as a cop. And that was from my original police academy training right through, you know, when I did detective training school. And the other one I wanted, just a small one, was I wanted to go all the way to the top. Nothing wrong with all that though, was there? It's just normal. Like, are you a bit like that? You just want to carve out a life that's within the normal bounds, job, marriage, family, car, house, holidays. That's okay. Like, that's okay, isn't it? Sure, I hope so, you're thinking. But the answer's not always obvious, though. You're a little girl, and she's talking to her teacher about whales, and the teacher says to the little girl that it's impossible for whales to swallow a human because even though it's a very large mammal, it's got a very 
small throat. So the little girl then states, and she says that Jonah in the Bible, well, he was swallowed by a whale. Irritated, the teacher reiterates to her that a whale cannot swallow a human being. Physically impossible. So the girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. And the teacher, she's even more frustrated now. She, she said, well, what if Jonah went to hell? Well, then you can ask him. <laughs> it's a little girl told that. <laughs> it's not always obvious, is it? We're a few weeks into our Peter, just a fisherman series. And Peter, this, this really ordinary guy, like, as I say, I really identify with him. Run-of-the-mill run of sort of fisherman from Bethsaida. And for sure, he's just living, he's living a normal life. Nothing radical, nothing too scandalous, nothing off the radar. Like, yeah, he's, he's ordinary. And, and we're learning that he's angry and that he's outspoken. He's, he's quick to promise. Not so quick to deliver. And, and we've already learned that to follow Jesus means to copy him. Right? So now you're wondering, what will that do to my life if I copy Jesus? Will it have me living like a loser? Or will it be worthwhile? Hey, come on, be, be honest. Be really honest. I mean, you can be extra honest when you're sitting in your lounge room, don't you? They don't have to swap looks with people. We all know people, don't we, who call themselves Christians and, well, like, they might be copying Jesus, who knows, but their life doesn't really rope us in. It's not that exciting. It's dull. It's duty bound. It's serious. It's somber. Why would anyone ever want to copy that? Well, just bear in mind that, and I didn't make this up. Jesus did. It was him who said it. Bear in mind that, that not everyone who calls themselves a Christian actually is a real Jesus follower. Big difference sometimes between religion and relationship. Big difference. And also bear in mind that even Jesus followers, even people who really are Jesus followers, well, they're, like, they're not perfect either. So, so, so don't, you know, like, they're going to make mistakes. So, so don't go trying to convince your teacher that whales can swallow Jonah. But take a look at the real Jesus. And even more so, like, this morning, Look at this real fisherman who wanted to follow him. Just come with me and grab a few snippets of his life and times with Jesus, Peter. You know, you know what? In his, in his own struggle to live well, because there is a struggle to live well, isn't there? We all struggle to live well, don't we? We, we, we want to have some sort of a career. We want to get some education. We want to travel. We want to have pleasure. We want to have relationships. Like, we've got to have a house. Like we need a car and we want health. 
This 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 rank and file guy, Simon's his original name. Peter, renamed Peter by Jesus the first time they ever meet. And in his struggle to live well, he needed some caution. And he also needed some strength. Just like you do. Just like I do. If we want to live well. And I'm putting my hand up. I want to live well. You too? It's a bit of a competition um, amongst Jesus' friends. Even though Peter's not named here, I can guarantee you he was in the thick of this one. Jesus and his mates, they're, they're traveling through the region of Galilee. And he actually tells them more than once that it's, it's not so long now till he, Jesus, like he's telling them that he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be killed. He's trying to let them know. But the disciples, his friends, you know, when he says this, they usually don't, when we read about these instances, they usually don't get it fully. And this particular day, they don't get it then either. So they arrive back at Capernaum. And that's where Peter and his family are living. We've seen that already. Uh, and Jesus and his friends, Peter included, they settle in the house that they're going to be staying in while they're in town in Capernaum. They've been walking all afternoon now, and, and as they rest, Jesus asks them a question. This is in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. And he says, what were you guys arguing about on the way here? Now, does that mean that he just guesses they were arguing and he's actually curious about what they're arguing about? Or is it pointed... Does he actually kind of know what they're arguing about and he's just trying to get them to say it? Uh, I think he probably knows. Um, it's funny though, because, because when he asks that question, what were you guys arguing about the way? No one says a word. Stony silence. And Mark, who's writing this down, he tells us why. He says, no one said a word because they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Nothing sure, friends. <laughs> Conversation like that amongst Jesus' friends. I'm telling you right now, Peter, he's a key contributor to that discussion. You know, one thing about Peter is that he wanted to be the best. Peter wanted to be the best. He wanted to be better than the others. You know, hours before Jesus was arrested, and then he later that night, the next morning, he's tried and executed. Jesus actually said to his mates, he said, tonight, all you guys will desert me. And, and this strong-willed, indignant, go-to-the-wall sort of Peter. And I'm like, he's out there. He's a man's man. And he says, Jesus, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Peter, Jesus says, Peter... Peter, the truth is, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Not once, three times. No, no, Peter insisted. Not even if I have to die with you. I'll never deny you. 
Yeah, these guys, those other guys, your other mates here, they probably will. If you say they're going to, maybe they will. But you can count on me, Jesus. You see, I'm going to, I'm going to be the best. And they'd all been arguing that day on the way to Capernaum about who was the greatest. You see what Jesus says straight after that? Because no one said a word. Jesus says, guys, anyone who wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. <laughs> I was driving Jake and Haley to school one day um, and, and we see this, this old vintage car passed going the other way. And when I saw the car, I talked about my, my late dad and I said, hey guys, see that car? If Pa saw that car, like he'd know instantly what sort of car it was. You know, he'd say it was an A3 Austin or a Model T Ford or whatever. Like he would just instantly. And Jake came back and he had his look on his face and he goes, what did he do that for? Like, was he trying to pump himself up? Or was he a bit proud or something, like boasting? And I said, no, 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 no. No, he wasn't proud. Like, he was just part, he was just, he was just fascinated with old cars. No, Pa was a humble man. And then it, then it went kind of silent for a few seconds. And then Haley, from the back seat, she says, well, if Pa was so humble, why are you and your brothers all so arrogant? See, I know, I know all about wanting to be the best in a house of four brothers. And here's Peter, you know, not long after this happened, in his writing his first letter to a group of churches, it's in your Bible and it's called 1 Peter or 1 Peter. And this opinionated, competitive, driven man who wanted to be the best, listen to some of the words he writes. This is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. And, and this part of the letter, he's writing it to the elders in these churches and he addresses them as his fellow elders and this guy that always wanted to be the best he writes care for the flock of god instructed to you watch over it willingly not grudgingly not for what you'll get out of it but because you're eager to serve god you see, he wanted to be the best. And, and that's the obvious thing to shoot for. I, like, I've been wanting to do that all my life. That's noble. That's honourable. That's, that's make mum proud stuff. That's, that's normal. But Jesus wants you to be a servant. My friend P Peter's... Starting to work this out now when he hangs out with Jesus. If you live with Jesus in charge, you will live differently, but you'll live well. You know, there's another time Peter comes to Jesus. He's straightforward and he's brash. And he asks Jesus, this is in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. He says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And then he already knows because the question he's asking, there's a classic Jewish religious answer to that question. 
And every Jew knows it. In, in that time, every, every Jew knows the answer to that question. It's a classic answer. And so he actually answers it by asking Jesus a question. So how many times, if my brother sins against me, or my, my sister, whoever it is, someone sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive that person? Seven times? Because that's the answer, seven. That enough? But it wasn't all that long after the time that he asked Jesus that. It's the night Jesus died again and and the same night that Peter had said just hours before that he'd never, ever desert Jesus, even if he had to die with him. That's when, not once, but three separate and distinct times someone asked him, and, and at least one of those times in the hearing of Jesus who was under arrest and on trial for his life, so much so that Jesus hears it and looks at him. Someone suggests, hey, you're a friend of this guy, aren't you? You're a friend of Jesus, aren't you? And Peter, he doesn't just shrug his shoulders, but he vehemently denies it. I swear by God, he says, I don't know the man. And, you know, like, if I had a dollar as a cop for every time someone would say to me, I swear to God. And people would say, I, I swear on my mother's dying oath. This, this strong, vitriolic denial. And Peter does that to Jesus. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this guy. And, you know, while Jesus was still on trial then, it tells us that Peter went away crying bitterly beside himself, absolutely crippled with the weight of his sin. How could he have said those terrible words? You ever struggle with guilt? I do. You know, this week, this happens to me from time to time. It happened to me this week. I just had a night where I dreamt and and... And I dreamt, and I don't even actually in this dream know exactly what it was, but, but usually for me it's that I've committed some sort of crime and that I'm on the run and that when they catch me, I'm going to go to jail. And it's just this, this, this sense of that I've done something wrong and it's just this, if only I had it. Yeah, you felt that? You know, maybe that night when Peter went away crying bitterly, um, when he looked back on the day that he had asked Jesus how many times he had to forgive someone who sinned against him. Seven times he asked. And then Jesus replied, no, no, Peter. Seventy times seven. Endless, unlimited mercy. And forgiveness. You know, Peter wanted to be forgiven. And so do I. But he, he didn't just need to be forgiven. Jesus wanted to fan that out and say, well, he needed to forgive as well. 
So do I. My friend, you read the plethora of literature and studies. You listen to the podcast. You check the evidence. Even all the information that is totally secular and irreligious. It's not from the church. It's not even from the Bible. You check it out and tell me where you get to. It's clear. It's abundantly, powerfully, unequivocally clear that when someone has done you wrong, it is in your best interests to forgive that person. Forget that person for a minute. Just be selfish. Just be totally self-centered. Don't even bring God into the picture. Like just, just have a totally you view. And the evidence is clear. You've probably heard it. The truth is, we, and we don't actually know who coined this phrase, by the way. It gets attributed to all sorts of people, but we, we don't know. But you've probably heard the phrase, when you don't forgive someone who's hurt you. You know what? It's like you drinking poison and expecting them to die. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't just need forgiveness. You need to forgive. And that, my friend, and this is before we even bring God into it, that, my friend, is very, very good for you. See, Peter, he needed caution and strength, and he needed to learn about forgiveness, and he'd have to learn the excruciating and agonizing pain and the crushing weight of his own sin and his own sinfulness, the reality of the ugliness of who he was before he could know God's goodness and mercy and grace. And that's what got him writing these words while, while he lived with this reality. And that reality, here's some more words he wrote. He wrote in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 3. He said, finally, all of you should be of one mind. It's in verse 8. Full of sympathy toward each other, loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when people say unkind things about you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That's what God wants you to do. And he'll bless you for it. Hey, my friend, if you live with Jesus in charge, you'll live differently, but you'll live well. And it's another day too, and Peter can't help himself. You know, when the real you, you know when the real you just bubbles out. And, and if you thought it through ahead of time, you'd try and hold your tongue. And then straight after you said it, you're wondering, how did you say that? Why did you say it? Wishing you didn't. But Peter, though, is not yet the most self-controlled man. And this fisherman from Bethsaida who decided to follow Jesus, it's in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. He's just watched and he's just listened. This rich young man has come to Jesus and he said, what, you know, what good things do I have to do to get eternal life, Jesus? And Jesus has said to him, well, keep the commandments. And the young guy is enthusiastic and he's proud because he says to Jesus, oh, yeah, hey, I've done all that. I've been doing that since I was a kid. What else do I have to do? And Jesus knows this guy's heart and he knows his Achilles heel too. Um, he does it for you too. He does it for me. And so he says to him, well, okay, you done all that. All right. Well, here's another thing. Go and sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. And, it's, and Peter's watched. He's seen it with his own eyes. It's crushed the guy. And he's gone away sad because he has many possessions. And then right after that dramatic confronting encounter that Peter has watched with his own eyes and listens, listens to with his own ears, he said to Jesus, it's like he's made himself a spokesman for the other disciples too, because he said, 
Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get out of it? You see, Peter wanted a reward. And who wouldn't? Who doesn't? Like when I'm working my butt off, when, when, I'm, when I'm taking a hit for the team, when it's costing me time and money, and it's uprooting my comfortable lifestyle, when it's taking me offshore, hey? What about when it's taking me offshore to another people group who hasn't yet heard about Jesus? When it's seeping into the way that I talk and the deals I do and the manner in which I enter my relationships and the thoughts that I think. Like, I want to know it's worth it. Oh my God, I want a reward too. Yeah, like, maybe not so much an award. Yeah, I'm going to need some sort of medal or a trophy or a plaque to hang up on the wall. No, like a reward. Somehow. Somewhere. Like it repays me for my outlay. You too? Everyone, Jesus says, everyone who gives up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times more in return and will have eternal life. You see, you want a reward, you'll get it. And it will be the pure gift of God. If you live with Jesus in charge, you'll live differently, but you'll live well. Don't get mixed up on what the reward will be. Like, and I'm not sitting there telling you that it's going to be riches and fame and celebrity. But Jesus knows how to give. Trust me, he knows how to give better than anyone. If you live with Jesus in charge, you'll live differently and you'll live well. I think Peter's like me, or maybe I'm like Peter, <laughs> but whatever though, even though he's loud and forthright and forceful and he shoots from the hip and his words get in front of his thoughts and his feelings can't hide themselves. He's with Jesus and the other disciples one day. This is in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. It's really weird. Jesus is hungry. He sees this fig tree. He goes over to grab a fig from the tree, but there's no fruit on the tree. There's only leaves on it. Poor tree. So Jesus says to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Um, they don't think much more of it. It's weird, you know, but, but, but Peter soon forgets about it because they're having a busy day of appointments and clearing out the temple and doing all that sort of stuff. And then the next morning, they walk the same way and they walk past the same tree. And there's the tree. It's 24 hours later and it's withered from the roots. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day. And he exclaimed, look, teacher. The fig tree you cursed has withered. Now, I think Peter's like me. I reckon Peter wanted to have faith. I want faith. And I bet that you do too. Because, because when I see people and I read about people who have faith, and I want to, I've been reading this week, George Mueller, he's my hero, and I've been reading his book again. Second time I read it, it's called The Life of Trust. I want to have faith like him. I want to be like him. Like I want to live like that. I want to believe. I, I want to be able to trust. And I don't just want to believe and trust, but like I want to radically believe and trust. So one of the things I ask Jesus, and I ask him this at least once every single day, I say, please, Jesus, please, please, I want to be a man who is quiet and quietly spoken 
and humble and gentle and kind and loving and unhurried. And I say to him every day, I say, I want to be full of faith. I want to lean on you. I want to depend on you. I want to rely on you. I want to pray about absolutely everything in my life and believe totally in you to do all that needs to be done. We all do, don't we? Like, seriously, do we want to have faith? Peter did this fisherman. He's getting the idea now. He's spending so much time with Jesus. And he's learning that if you live with Jesus in charge, you will live differently. But you'll live well. Peter is just a fisherman. He's following Jesus and he's learning to copy him. The answer is not always obvious though. So some of the ways that his society tells him to live, many of the religious customs, like they're fine. They're morally fine. They're ethically fine. But they're not the way that Jesus does it. Hey, for you this morning, my friend, you know, um, Jesus wants you to serve much more than he wants you to be the best. Is that changing anything for you? Jesus will forgive you and he wants you to forgive others. Not easy, this forgiveness thing. Not easy at all. But the longer you hold out, the longer you are imprisoned by what God done or said to you or what God didn't do for you the longer you're imprisoned you know Jesus died on the cross for you and that was to forgive you yes but forgive you so that you could forgive and he's right here right now and all you need to do, my friend, this morning, all you need to do is acknowledge your need for him, your need for his forgiveness. You're lost, and, and the Bible calls that your sinful state without him. And then to thank him for his gift and to surrender your life to him. That's all you need to do. And Jesus promises you a reward for following him. And you, you, you'll get a reward. If you walk with him like Peter the fisherman did, you will have his reward, not just in the future, but now. You will. And Jesus wants you to live by faith. And he knows that's the best way for you to live. And he wants you living in the very best way possible. Friend, if you live with Jesus in charge... You'll live differently, but you'll live well. Can I pray with me? Jesus, I, I know that I usually just, I really get this. I'm always thinking in terms of what this means for me. And in the times though, when I'm learning as a person, and with your help, and especially with the Holy Spirit's help, and I'm learning to see as you see, and I realize that you made me, and you know how I will live best. And when I surrender my life to you, when I accept your free forgiveness through your death on the cross, when I thank you for your gift, when I surrender my life to you, when I make you the Lord of my life, capital L, 
Lord of my life. That I will live differently. But I'll live well. I'll live as you desire me to live. Jesus, I want to understand that more and more and more. And I want to live it more every day of my life. And I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters, and my friends who are part of this right now who are listening to this. And, and I ask that you do a beautiful work in every one of our lives to help us to be just a fisherman, just a teacher, just a whatever who's following Jesus. Knowing that we're living differently. But we're living well. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.